What's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedule Fly. This was an interesting episode um, that kind of came together in an interesting way, but we decided to start scheduling essentially conference calls with owners that we know well that enjoy doing this kind of thing, that have something meaningful or educational or inspirational to share with other folks in hospitality. And Chris Dickerson has been on here. In fact, he was on the very last episode. We did a phone call where he was sort of educating a uh, a new restaurant owner on some things to know and getting into the business or getting in as an owner. He was already in the business, but first time as an owner. And Chris, uh, one of the things he mentioned on that call, and we decided to expand upon is the idea of building a brand versus building a label. So, this started out as just he and I talking about brands versus labels, but we had Brett Olivaria, Brett Oliveria, excuse me, on the call. And Brett is with Sup Dogs. You've probably heard him on the podcast. An amazing, amazing story, amazing brand. Sup Dogs, S U P D O G S. They're in Greenville, North Carolina, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I saw that Brett was on here, so I asked him to chime in. And the conversation really turned into a conversation between Chris and Brett, and it was just fantastic. So uh, the short story here is this is a great episode, extremely, extremely um, fun and enjoyable and interesting and educational. And in addition to that, we're looking forward to in 2021 to having more of these types of calls where we sort of facilitate small groups of owners getting together on the phone and talking about important, relevant, timely subject matter, recording those calls, facilitating them, interjecting occasionally. But, you know, what I've learned is that with when these owners get talking, my role is just to be quiet and let them talk as much as possible. So we're looking forward to that. It's a cool format. We're still figuring it out. This was our first attempt at it, but we'll just keep getting better. But this is a great episode. Appreciate you listening. Probably the last time we put something up anytime this year um, on our podcast, but who knows. And thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, appreciate all of you, whether you're a customer or not. Thanks for checking in and um, giving this a listen. Take care. Okay, so this is the first of these. So um, I appreciate you doing this, and we hope that we're going to be doing you know, doing a lot of these and sharing various uh, folks' stories or expertise or areas where they you know have some meaningful, useful knowledge. And of course, you and I have talked multiple times over the years, and one of the things that you've mentioned. Lots of the times we've talked is is the concepts of brands versus labels, and I think we connected on that. You and I did just because we share that philosophy so strongly. So um, before we get into all that, though, Chris, how about um, just telling us real quick, introduce yourself, quick, you know, minute or two background, and then we'll we'll kind of jump in. Uh, Chris Dickerson, I own. Corner Taco in Jacksonville, Florida, Squirrels Pizza in Savannah, and Burrito Royale in Savannah, and soon to be a few others. My training is, uh, I'm classically trained as a chef. I did a three-year formal apprenticeship program at the Cloister on Sea Island, 
Uh, and then I had various jobs in the hospitality industry, um, mostly at least in the beginning as a chef. And then uh, since 2011 as a, a restaurant owner, a restaurateur, uh, and had plenty of challenges along the way, but worked through them and, and uh, actually grown to really love the excitement of never knowing what's going to happen on any given day. And recently have been evolving more into, I would say, an entrepreneur than a restaurateur specifically. And I've got all kinds of other projects I'm interested in that aren't necessarily restaurant related, but, uh, but certainly food is my passion, uh, but, but love creative thinking too. And that's where Will and I really connect. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me, let's get into this whole concept of brands versus labels, which I've thought about this a lot, but I've never, you crystallize it with that, um, that phrase brands versus labels. And there is a huge, huge difference, of course. Why is that so important to you? And when did you start thinking about the bifurcation between a brand and a label and how relevant that is to the success of the business? Well, I think I really struggled with, with this question. Our customer is always right. And that's something that, you know, we grew up thinking. And as I really evolved in my own, in my mind and developed into my own, you know, person, at least as a restaurateur, I really was uncomfortable with that. And in the fern bars of the eighties, Bennigan's, et cetera, that was, that was the, the, the motto. And, and I really think that creates many problems. And, uh, when corner taco first started, we were tiny taco stand inside of a bar on the ocean. We had a wood burning grill and a fresh corn tortilla maker. And we developed a very strong, they call it like following, although it was relatively small, but extremely devoted fans. And a lot of it was what, because of what we said no to. And that's, that doesn't rest easy with a lot of people who have been in the industry, you know, for, for a long time, many years older than me, but it's uh, what you say no to is as important, maybe even more important than what you say yes to. For example, neither of my restaurants have any products that have high fructose corn syrup. Nothing's hydrogenated. We don't have Budweiser. We don't have fountain drinks. We have Mexican Coke, real cane sugar. We have craft beer, uh, wine, et cetera. We don't have Jim Beam. We have, we have just stuff that I would feel proud to drink. And in the beginning, that upset some people because they wanted you know, Diet Coke, whatever. But in the end, it created very devoted customers who felt like we had a shared belief system. And ultimately, that's what, what a brand really is, 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 a, is a belief system it cannot be all things to all people. If it is in the end, it's nothing to no one. So it's, it's a belief system and it has to be authentic. There's never been a period in time when often authenticity was so easy to smoke out as now, you know, the rapid dissemination, dissemination of information by the internet, you know, all kinds of other sources. It's so <clears throat> I think the modern hallmark of a business has to be authenticity and you can't be authentic and all things to all people at the same time. A label is when you try to be all things to all people. You have pizza, pasta, burgers, and you have all these things that you think people want, but you don't have a focus. So I think a pretty narrow focus is important to really build a brand. And a brand creates people who will evangelize you. A, a label does not. It's just an also-ran. People will easily defect. A brand is very price-dependent. 
excuse me, a, a label is very, you have to discount to get people in. Whereas a, a brand, you, you have a lot more pricing flexibility. Are so they, ultimately brands, is, what's that? I was going to say, are there brands? I mean, I think a lot about brands that uh, I admire a lot. I always go back to Patagonia. That's one that's, yeah. I mean, the shining example of what you're talking about of uh, authenticity of, of building a, a, you know, a, an audience of folks that evangelize their brand as we're sitting here doing right now um, and have, I think the other thing, is, uh, and I don't always agree with them, to be honest, but I do admire that they have a very strong opinion um, and they're very clear about that opinion on you know, certain issues and um, I think that that's can be hard in some ways because you turn people off, but the flip side of that is, uh, and I think this is part of what you're getting to is when you really want, if you, to build evangelists, you have to have more than just, you, you mentioned focus. You, you've got to have a, you have to have an opinion, right? You have to stand for something more than just the product. I think you nailed it. Will. you have to have a why. Apple's why is to help the underdog mm. and it's, it's, it pervades every aspect of their brand, but there has to be a why it has to be a deeper meaning. And I think one thing that's, that's important with brands too is, and you and I talk about this a lot. Will the, the primary focus of brands often, not all, not always, but often is not money. Money is a byproduct of excellence, for example, but it's, but the primary goal is not just to make money labels. Primary goal is just to make money. They'll, they'll take, They'll, they'll change from being a restaurant to selling vacuum cleaners overnight if they think they'll make more money. It's not, there's not really a, uh, an underlying value system. And, and most restaurants actually are labels in some form or another. Uh, everybody says they want to be a brand, but there's, there's, you, you have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to say no to things. What are some brands uh, within the hospitality world that you admire? I would say definitely Mike Lotta's places, Ashley Christensen's places. Uh, those, those are the first that come to mind. I like Husk. Oh, uh, I've never been to Husk. I've heard great things about it down there in Charleston, right? Well, there's one in Savannah. There's one in Nashville. And there was one in Greenville, although I think that morphed into a, a recently a, a barbecue place. But, but those are just some examples. There are plenty more. I really like Chris Bianco, P uh, Pizzeria Bianco in Phoenix. I like Nobu a lot, who, who I used to work for. Uh, so, I mean, there, there are plenty of them out there, but the common denominator is there's a belief system. And it's, it's that no, no two have the same belief system. They're genuine. Le Bernard Den is a good example. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are good ones. These are all ones I've, I've heard of or, her positive things about I now I know Ashley well uh, Ashley Christensen yeah she's mom. cool she's great and what Ashley's done so well is you know she is her brand you know um, at AC restaurants um, she's she's also been a leader in a lot of areas she's been outspoken in a lot of areas um, and absolutely has built certainly a brand not just a, a group of restaurants um, somebody that's you know I think admired um, all around the country. So I, I totally yeah. agree with that. Um, so dive a little bit deeper about like, what are some of the things that 
that you've done with your places and well, let's start there. I have another question. Let's, let's go with that. Some of the things that you've done in that light. Uh, some things we've done differently. Well, take COVID for example, Every, everybody around me, most people who work for me wanted to cut immediately, cut staff, lay off people, uh, do what everyone else is doing. And I said, this is not the time to, to go on defense. This is the time to go on offense. And we, we did the opposite. We didn't lay anybody off. Uh, we immediately started donating 10% of all sales to Giving Kitchen, which I don't know if you know, but helps restaurant workers in Georgia during times of crisis. So we did that not for two reasons. Good ethics is good business. We did it because it was good ethics. But second of all, it was marketing. Those were marketing dollars. It helped to drive sales. And our sales, strangely enough, didn't go down. In fact, they went up, even though we were at only 50% capacity in Jacksonville. We were, our dining capacity was limited at 15%, but 50% by law. So that immediately, it, 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 it usurped the dogma. You know, the dogma then was closed, cut. You know, everybody was doing it. And, and I think that's what you have to do. You have to be a, a thought leader. And it doesn't mean you have to be right. You just have to do something different. And, and it has to be what you believe is right. And, and uh, I think ultimately, you and I talked about this the other day. Well, you have to take a stand on, on things, the kind of menu you want to have, but you can't be closed-minded and you still have to, the, the, the trick, making money in the restaurant business, everyone says it's hard. I don't think it's, it's, it's hard. It's actually pretty easy to make money. The trick is making money and having a good night's sleep. That's the real trick, having a belief system, having integrity, not screwing those things that many people want because you don't like them. You don't believe in them, whatever. Like I don't, I think high, I don't believe in perpetuating high, the use of high fructose corn syrup. I think it's silly. It's just a, it's a, it's a waste byproduct that is used only because it's less expensive, not because it's good. I don't think anyone thinks high fructose corn syrup tastes better than cane sugar. People have just accepted that it's ubiquitous. So they, they deal with it, but but uh, I, I don't believe in it. I don't, I don't consume it, so I'm not going to serve it. But we, we do serve something I, I, I would love. I would have loved for, for Corner Taco to remain simple with just a handful of really good tacos. But that's not our customer wanted. customers wanted. They wanted guacamole. They wanted queso. Well, queso is a good example. I don't eat queso. I probably never would eat queso. I'm not a nacho. I don't eat nachos. But so many people wanted it. And the vast majority of nachos are served are made using and queso made using a, uh, a easy melt, highly processed canned cheese, which I absolutely would not put in my body. Don't believe in, I think it's gross. <clears throat> so what we did is we reconciled what people wanted with what I was proud of. And so we make our own white cheddar and brie fondue. It's a very, you know, pretty, it's a very time consuming, tricky to make, but it's something that I'm proud of. So that's how we reconciled those two things. The default, the easy, you know, if we were a label, we would just pour the can easy melt into a, a pot, added a few things and, you know, call it a day. But because of our belief system and because our specs, ultimately brands have specs and standards. You don't just put a label on something and hope people buy it. You have, you have in, in addition to belief system, you have specs and standards. So that was our spec. So that's sort of, that's just, those are a couple examples. We, uh, we have one of the only probably we're probably the only quote Mexican restaurant within 500 miles to have earned the slow food snail of approval. So we only buy local shrimp. 
we don't buy farm raised, even though it's, we can't, we can no longer get our local shrimp delivered because almost everyone buys farm raised. So we have to send a courier once a week to Mayport to buy the same shrimp we've been buying since 2011. So we take a lot of extra effort to do it. And most people, to be honest, I don't know that they really notice and care, but I do. And I'm proud of it. And, and that overall zeitgeist permeates the taste of the food, even though a lot of people can't tell the difference between farm raised and local shrimp and a taco. Ultimately they can tell the aggregate of all those little steps and know that that's what makes our tacos unique. So those are just some, some examples. How do you, how do you make your customers aware of all this? Like I hear that and I'm like, dang, man, that makes me want to have some of those shrimp tacos that, you know, that's a big deal, but how do they know that you do all that? Well, it, I think it, it permeates every aspect of the brand. And I, I think that's the point. We have a poster on the front of the door that says, you know, corn tacos, unlike any other taco place you've been to, here's some of the things that make us unique. We make fresh corn tortillas every day on a special machine. We're what the, there are only two of those machines in Florida. Epcot has the other one. Um, we, we buy a ton of local, uh, local ingredients. We, you know, so we have a poster. It's, um, I think it's pretty obvious when you come to the place, to be honest. I mean, and that's our, that's our clientele, our clientele. It's probably only 20% of the population, but that's still a big number. And they're the one by word of mouth over time. It's that's really become our, I mean, we, that's, that's what we're known for. We're not, if someone is vacillating between Taco Bell and us, they're not going to be happy. And, and what's unique about us too, we would rather them not come in. We'd also like for them to tell all their friends not to come in versus them coming in, ordering and be disappointed. A label, you try to get every single dollar you can, not really thinking so much about five years from now, 10 years from now. Brands have long-term, it's, it's, they're playing the long game. So it's, it, and some people, when they see the, sometimes we'll get a review and it's like never coming back. And, and, and I think to myself, good, I don't, I really would rather you not come back than come back and be disappointed. So uh, I think it's really been word of mouth, but it's you know, also with squirrels, which is only about a year and a half old. It's same thing. Word of mouth. I, I was wearing a squirrel hat the other day and I had in two days, I had three people come up to me and say, just t- say like how much the pizza meant to them and you know, how unique it was, blah, blah, blah. So it's, so our clientele are, it's not everybody. It's a small sliver of the population who understand the nuances. Yeah. And I think when you build a brand like that, you also, it's almost like they're in on the, they're in the club, right? Like they feel like yeah. they're something because you, they know that you stand for something and they believe in that too. So by being your customer, you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of part of this thing and not everybody else is and not everybody has this, same standards or tastes that I do or whatever the case may be, um, which, which builds loyalty, uh, which is such a huge part of, of a brand and the word of mouth you're talking about and having folks that are fiercely and trust loyalty and trust. Yes. Yeah. And authenticity is, uh, you're right. It is easier to sniff out things that are not authentic. Now, now here's the, here's the million dollar question. I think in this business and hospitality, like you talked about, uh, and, and you and I have talked about you know, focusing on things that you, sometimes, you know, you, you can't always measure, um, but that those are the things that lead to a, a successful and profitable business, certainly a, a successful brand. So there's things that 
um, you know, it's not, it's not things that you can put a number on. It's the way you treat people. It's the things you stand for. All these things that you're talking about, these things are, you know, money becomes the byproduct, as, we, as you said. Um, yeah. And oftentimes you become very successful. Again, Patagonia, great example. Now, here's the rub. How do you take authenticity if you want to grow your business significantly? Is it, can you, like you take your concepts, can you grow that? Is there a limit to how much you can grow uh, when you really are building, particularly in hospitality, with all these different locations you have to have, you, to be authentic and to take a stand and to do all the things you're talking about, it seems to me that's really, really hard to scale significantly. Uh, and that may well, be actually a, for a lot of people, good. Like that's the whole point. But I'm just, I know there's a, that's always a question that, you know, we talk about in hospitality is like, how do you, how do you scale something up if, um, you, you have principles and, and you want to stay authentic and just to, you know, can be a tricky balance, right? Well, my answer would be somewhat ambivalent. That, so it's actually over time, it's more of a slow burn, certainly a brand versus label, but over time, look at Apple, for example, over time, the ability, your ability to grow in various economic climates is actually better with it's the, the, it's the best possible scenario in which to grow your brand, you know, if, or <clears throat> having a brand is, a, is, is much easier to grow than having a label label. You can grow more quickly, but it's, a, it's more of a, a movement, you know, last, let's say 10 years, it's a flash in the pan. Whereas, whereas a brand, it has, it can sustain over a long period, but it is definitely more of a slow burn. I mean, there are going to be people who, when Cornetago first opened in Jacksonville, there were people who were upset that we didn't have diet Coke. They, they would say, Oh, we just want an authentic, regular, you know, ground beef taco. But now that hardly ever happens. I mean, there's always going to be the, you know, occasional outlier, but it hardly ever happens. And the vast majority of people who come to us now have an idea what they're going to get. Uh, and, and they're excited. They're pre-screened in a way. And, and that's because of the word of mouth. And so that's, you know, almost all our leads now are warm leads. Like we don't, we don't have people just walking by saying, Oh, let's go in here. It's a taco place. Like they, it's, it's, we, we don't want that. We don't want someone to just walk by and say, Oh, I just want a taco. A taco is a taco is a taco. We want them to have an idea what they're getting into. We want them to double opt in, so to speak. Sort of like you and I talked about this the other day, Will, I can't stand when I buy some product online and they force me to put my email address in for a confirmation. And the next thing I know I'm on their list, I'm getting emails every single day. Mm. They're trying to, they're marketing stuff to me. So I'd much rather someone double opt in, come to corner taco take a look at the menu, look around, see that it's not you know, a typical taco. It doesn't look anything like a typical taco joint. And it is very much actually both restaurants are very much have a lot of French aspects. It's kind of squirrels as someone, a writer described it. I think it's right as a pizza brasserie and corner taco is sort of a taco brasserie. And it's, it's, uh, although it definitely feels like a food truck in many ways, but, but, uh, We'd much rather, and that's, that's a lot of that's intentional. We've got we've got geographic signage everywhere on the front. It says, you know, only the swankiest ingredients, uh, fresh corn tortillas every day. Yeah, so if someone comes in there and expects a ground beef taco, is upset because we don't have it. It's on them. It's not on us. Same with squirrels. I mean, squirrels. It's named squirrels for a couple reasons. One is that was my nickname in college, but also someone should not come into a, a pizza place named squirrels 
and expect it to have the traditional pizza place offerings. If they do, it's on them. So it's, it's a nod to the reverence, but it's also a way to manage expectations. And I think the, the facade, the decor, the name should all do that, manage expectations and make people opt in. You've, uh, you've never had any investors. You've bootstrapped all this stuff. Um, does that make it easier for you to make these decisions without having to worry about, you know, listening, you know, dealing with a lot of other opinions on, you know, yes. I mean, it seems like that's a, that can be, that could get interesting if you have a lot of, um, folks that have skin in the game as well, who by default are going to have a lot of strong opinions. Well, especially with restaurants. I mean, it's different if, you know, I don't have investors. I don't want investors. It'd be different if I just did something specifically as an investment, like I bought a piece of property or, you know, a warehouse or a car wash, then, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not passionate about that. It would just be an investment. Uh, and then I would have investors, but for restaurant, no, it's, I can't imagine having investors to be honest. I make so many day-to-day decisions that if I had to, that would just be, I wouldn't be able to make if I had to consult with one or more people. Um, especially about cash flow, managing cash flow. I mean, everyone knows restaurants are very expensive endeavors and it's, and you never know. You, there's no way to project sales a week out. I mean, to really project I mean, even for an established business, like you, I mean, you could easily be off by 20% or, or more, you know, a storm comes, it's cold, rainy, wasn't supposed to have been, you know, a hurricane, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I like the, the, I, I like the flexibility to do it my way. And, and if I had investors, I could, I wouldn't be able to say no to Budweiser's, say no to Coke. I mean, there'd be somebody who's like, no, that, you know, this is what, oh, I think we need a pasta. We need, I mean, I, I hear these stories all the time. But the truth is investors either, it's either magic or it's awful. There's no in between, at least with restaurants. I've never heard of, I've never heard someone say to me, they have investors and it's just okay. I mean, it's either horrible or it's a magic, you know, like a, it's, it's, it's a magic connection. Yeah. You have to have ones that let you have that autonomy. That can get tricky. Uh, um, certainly, if, you know, I would imagine at a time like this when so much is changing and there's so much uncertainty and there's so many decisions to make and, um, could be interesting now, I, I, Chris. I want to. I want to ask. Uh, I, I think if I'm looking at my screen correctly, I think Brett Oliveria from Sup Dogs is on here. Brett, are you? Is that you on here? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? How are you, man? Can you hear me? Hey, Brett. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just enjoying the uh, enjoying the conversation. Well, I had to. Uh, for, I know I, I took you by surprise. I think, but I, I had to just mention you because. Okay, so Chris, Brett owns Sup Dogs, which is up in Greenville, North Carolina, in Chapel Hill. You guys, you told me about it. Yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing brand uh, that he has built. He and his bride, and um, place is phenomenal. I mean, they have. I, I don't even know where to start. But the the funny thing is, Brett, you um, you've got this guy. Um, Mr. Beast that has been in your restaurant some, and you and I have yeah. talked about him. And sure enough, my son, I've told you before, my son's a big fan. Both my boys are. My 14-year-old son, two days ago, says, hey, Dad, uh, I want, there's a Mr. Beast burger place in Charlotte now. I want to go get a Mr. Beast burger. I was like, what are you? <laughs> I remember you had said something about that. 
Now I looked it up and it appears that like they're using like restaurant, they give restaurants their ingredient, whatever, like uh, existing restaurants cook their stuff for them. So they don't have any real estate, but um, you may know more about that. But the point behind all this guys is that here's a, another brand where this young man, for those of you who don't know who Mr. Beast is, which is probably most of you, but he, he like makes videos on, on YouTube and my boys are like massive fans. And they, I mean, my son wears his beast shirt almost every day. So this young man has gone from like making funny videos with his buddies to turning into this phenomenal brand that has massively loyal following and sells everything now from merchandise to, I guess, apparently burgers. I guess, Brett, what's the, do you know more about what he's doing right now? Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's running a, uh, a, just a virtual kitchen. So um, he's just, he's, he's sort of taking his brand city to city and, you know, he's got a Mr. Beast burger bar. So he's operating, uh, you know, burgers, fries, um, similar to smash burgers. And he's just finding restaurants that um, can use a little extra volume to fill the orders. Um, I met with them and I mean, we can't even really fill our own orders through DoorDash and Uber Eats and all that. So we just had no shot of, of helping him out. Um, but I did, I, you know, I think he's found, you know, 300 kitchens nationwide that, you know, are sort of, uh, need some more business and, um, he's given it a shot. I think the tough part is quality control. Um, yeah, the branding is through the roof. Amazing. I mean, he's, you know, one of the biggest stars on YouTube. Um, so the brand is there, but then, you know, who's cooking the food quality control. Um, but at the same time, you know, is your son, if he orders a Mr. Beast burger, does he care if it's, you know, an A burger or B burger, or does he just want the experience and the packaging, and, which is awesome as well. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, branding can cover a lot for, uh, for quality. Um, you know, cause what it comes down to, you know, I think I say this all the time. I think every restaurant is good. You know, I mean, I can't remember the last time I went to a restaurant. I'm like this food or this service is horrible. I think it's pretty good everywhere. So what it comes down to is experience, brand, you know, how does your son feel, you know, eating a Mr. Beast burger and looking at the logo and posting the picture on Instagram. I mean, so, um, but the guy's just super sharp and he's just all in on, um, on his brand and, and, you know, putting out his videos and his content and the, the following he's built, um, and a lot of it's, you know, sort of what you guys were talking about earlier is through marketing, through charitable efforts. I mean, he's, uh, you know, I just helped him. I, mean, I just told him what ice machine to buy, but, you know, he just you know, buys ice machines for homeless shelters. He started a food bank, like the guy's um, super philanthropic. So um, that sort of added his brand as well. No, yeah, there you go. So you, there's a perfect example of something, and Chris did, does this too. It's not measurable. It's measurable in terms of your cost, but it's not measurable in terms of the uh, brand equity that builds, if you want to call it that. And uh, this is why I love this stuff. And I, I don't want to get too into Mr. Beast. I felt I'm fascinated with his brand. But the bigger point here is, I think, is that nowadays there's this long tail of really uh, successful brands that have the ability to maybe diversify their revenue like, like he's done. Right. So if you're 
brand is trusted if you with your core audience, whatever that is. Like I think of Yeti, right? You know, they had coolers and now good grief, they've got retail stores and you know, everything in between. And you you uh but when you're able to build a brand that people admire and trust, I think it, it really gives you the opportunity, maybe instead of uh scaling up your existing product maybe to provide other sources of revenue for your business. Is that fair? Is that a good way to look at it? I think so. Yeah. And what you were saying too, Will, uh, and ultimately you too, Brett, is the importance of qualifying versus quantifying. It's anytime I talk to a banker, you know, for, uh, for a loan, for another project, the the way that they think is literally just short circuits my brain because it's so black and white and everything has to be quantified and there's so many rules to, oh no we can't add this back we have to add this back and we have to impute this income even though it's not I know it's not really this the, the real scenario the real life scenario but it's it's you have to you have to be able to qualify and and be willing to make investments in things that that the returns of which can't can't really be measured but you know they're there I mean how do you really measure the the, the brand difference between Coke and RC Cola. I mean, there's certainly a difference and, and accounts would argue that it's on the balance sheet, but it's, I, I would say that it's really not. I mean, the emotion involved with, with partaking in something that really is a brand versus, versus a label. Mm. Like you were saying, Brett, just the experience of you know, eating a beast burger. And there are lots of restaurants. I agree with you, Brett. I don't, I don't think I've ever been to a restaurant that I thought was horrible. I mean, it's, they, they won't last long at all. And it, yeah, Ultimately, the the there have been lots of restaurants that had an amazing brand and they had this amazing reputation, and you go there and they're really not that great. But it's but the mystique around them is. So imagine you the the, the mystique multiplied by a quality product. Like those are the best brands, but they're still great brands that have an okay, not a great product. But it's but people are seduced by the brand itself, the mystique. But then on the flip side, there's also, I've been in a ton of restaurants where they're like overly romantic about their product and their, yeah. what they're serving at the same time, just building no brand at all. But yet they're putting oh, yeah. out the most it's amazing. Annoying. It's uh, yeah. It's a, let, let, let me, I have, a, I have a question for you. Like, you know, you, you have your taco place and then um, your pizza place. When did you decide, when was the right time for you? Um, you know, you're, you're building your, your, uh, your taco restaurants brand, how did you decide, you know what, I'm going to jump in and, and build another brand? Are, are you, are you stretching yourself too thin? Um, do you feel like you should have just stayed all in on one brand? Like when do you, you know, cause I see a lot of no, restaurants sort of open up different, different concepts. And I've seen a lot of people just all in on one. Like I'm sort of confused myself on, uh, sort of when to make that leap or even if you, even if you should. Well, it, I think it's ultimately a personal thing. I did my my go, main goal in doing it was to be the best version of myself I can be, you know, professionally and personally. And I just got bored with tacos. I was I absolutely became fascinated with tacos around 2009. I went to Oaxaca and spent about two weeks mm-hmm. there, and I just was so enamored with them and just fascinated. And for me, it was, you know, my training is classical French, and so it was such a a brave new world to me. You know, just like making a mole sauce, for example, you burn tortillas, you burn, you burn things. Like you would never do that in a classical French restaurant or any restaurant that was, that's inspired by whether it's Italian or any derivative of classical French. 
so it was fascinating to me. And then I did it and I went way down the rabbit hole and I got, I mean, I'd say a little bit bored with it and creatively. And so I wanted to end up love pizza. I mean, pizza and tacos are actually fairly simple in, their, in that they're blank canvases. You can put almost anything on a pizza within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a taco, you can put almost anything on it. Uh, but it's, it's, um, for me, I, it took longer than I had hoped just cause I wanted to do it my way to one investors. And I looked at hundreds of, before I found corner taco, I looked at hundreds, hundreds of spots before finding a spot that made financial sense. And then I also liked, and there are places that, you know, I could do financially, but they were in, you know, some strip mall in, you know, just way out in the middle of nowhere. And then corner taco ultimately is, it's in an area that was on the, you know, in the early stages of serious gentrification, but it wasn't there yet. So uh, I got a really great lease, a long-term lease, and and uh, it, you know, turned out that there it was, did become what I had hoped it would become. But it was, it took it took a while. So it was, it was, um, it really was just, it just it felt right. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. I, I was eventually going to do. Originally, I was going to do more corner tacos. But then I moved to Savannah to help raise my then newborn son, and it, Savannah didn't really need. There, there are a couple of good taco places here. It didn't really need their taco place. So I started to look at it more from the standpoint of what does this city need, you know, juxtaposed to what am I interested in, and the answer was mm-hmm. pizza. So that was really how it came. But I think pizza now is, especially you know, wood fired pizza is kind of like the new, you know, tacos have kind of exploded with you know. Alex Stupak doing tacos and Sean Brock did tacos. There are lots of, you know, high-end taco places in the U.S. now, but when we first opened, there really weren't. So that's, tacos are kind of, you know, that's it's kind of seen its, I think it's, it's peak. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and now, you know, the, the lots of cool pizza places all around the country. And I think people are also breaking away more and more from the notion that they have to do something that's Italian or they have to do Neapolitan. Like our pizza is not Neapolitan. It's more, it's, I guess the category is called, called, um, artisan pizza, but it's really, it's, uh, it's cooked at a lower temperature for longer. So it's cooked about 700 versus 900 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's got a 59% water content versus let's say 65, 70 or even higher for Neapolitan. So the result is it's crispier. Uh, and also there's a conversion to acetic acid versus lactic acid neapolitan converts to lactic acid so the taste is more like lemon juice than you know buttery chardonnay um so it's uh it just fascinated me it was a new new frontier so to speak savannah at the time didn't have an, another wood-fired pizza place uh, so just all those things but i i like doing i mean it's it's not that complicated especially corner taco even though we do tacos we've done everything from indian to korean we've done you know so we, we call it we call I've trademarked the, the term Mexclectic. So it's, I mean, the food is very eclectic. It's inspired by Mexican. So we're, we've already been doing, you know, everything pretty much fried seafood. It's so we could take, we've already got the catalog. I mean, I, we've, we use a fair amount of the corn taco recipes at squirrels. Um, so it's, 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 it really wasn't a, a, a big leap. I mean, the big leap was, it wasn't doing, I mean, it, the big leap is like, kind of to your point, Brett, is um starting every time you start a new brand it is you've got to tame a beast it's and it and it's it's like having another child in that you you try to give it the best environment you can but at some point it develops a mind of its own and it evolves into something that you couldn't possibly completely control and that's you know that's part of what i love about it but it's also 
extremely just enervating in terms of the amount of energy it takes. And so many, you know, the whole, well, you and I talk about this a lot, like the number of people saying, Oh, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. You know, it's just tuning all that out. You can do it once, you know, with an established brand, you, you, you have a pretty good sense of what works and what doesn't. And, and you understand the difference between what people want and what they say they want and how to, you know, parse it out. But you start something new and, you know, do people really want gluten-free pizza? Are they really going to buy it? Um, a lot of people ask for vegan cheese, but are they really going to buy it? You've got to, you don't really know. You've got to you know, start from scratch by testing, um, real world testing, not just listening to what people say. So yeah, it's, it definitely takes a lot of energy, but I'm so now I'm ready to move on to the next thing. We have another <laughs> per- permanent food truck, uh, 1965 Airstream. I just, I just finished, finalized, just got per- permission from the city to, permanently or semi-permanently semi-permanently like basically i'm leasing a lot and i'm going to be the only food truck there and uh i technically have to move it um daily but no one else is going to be on the lot and and uh so it, it but burritos really are nothing more than tacos in a different format so it's you know they're all they're all interconnected but the you know the the pricing it's interesting how you know generally speaking when we tested the burritos with the pricing it was we got it pretty dialed in so that you know it's appealing to a lot of people but we did one event at a really high-end resort and our prices were actually i think too low um compared to the other offerings there so i think that that actually hurt us having prices that were too low so it's uh so anyway it's it, but you got you the testing is you know like your your hot dogs i'm sure you've got i'm sure you've got you know pricing that you know works and you could probably put put it put the same concept in, in almost any city and the, the pricing would probably be right, or at least maybe a little tweaking, but it wouldn't need a ton of tweaking. Whereas starting something from new, you don't know. And, and when Squirrels first yeah. started, our base pizza was $12 and 95 cents. It was called a margarita because that's my sister's name. It was basically a margarita. Yeah. She's, she's only, she's in tomato sauce. And that for this market was too high. So we dropped it to 10 95. I, I blows my mind because I wouldn't have thought that, people would have cared about $2, but they did. And so we changed it and it, it, you know, it worked and that's the right price here. I'm, it shouldn't be, but you got to, some willing I talk about a lot, you got to respond to what is not what you think it should be. So the testing and all that, uh, all the tweaks, the big, the big tweaks you have to make when you start something from scratch, it does take a lot of energy, but that's what, that's personally what drives me. And I don't, and especially it's, there really aren't that many differences in the way that, the different brands are built. I mean, the, the architecture of the way you build them is the same, it's just mm-hmm. a different, you know, the trimmings are different, so to speak. So I don't, I don't think people, I don't think people understand, like if you're opening another brand, I mean, I, I'm hyper-focused on one, but just knowing how I am, if I open another brand, it would just take over every second, every, every yeah, you gotta minute of my, it, yeah. it would totally consume me from top to bottom. So that's yeah. like the yeah, tough part to make the leap. If you make the leap, well, that, you literally have to just your whole life is go all in. Well, I, that's what I love. Hard. And I, now I have. I didn't go to Corner Taco for for two years, so I had Damn. you know good people running it, and and I have we have the systems can always use more tweaking, and we're not you know we're not a franchise, so we don't it's not plug and play. But this mm-hmm. overall, the spirit of the systems is strong in that we use, and these are things that I've, no one taught me. I just kind of, I had to figure out how to systemize it to a degree because I didn't want to be there all the time. But for example, we use 1% salt relative to protein weight for everything. For our guacamole dressing, we use 
we make a master batch of the the you know non-perishable stuff like the jalapenos the the shallots the lime juice the salt we puree that keep in the fridge and then every day we use 16 percent of that guac dressing relative to avocado pulp weight so little things like that so what i've become really obsessed with are the systems and those systems can Mm -hmm. be scaled and moved laterally like we use that same system at squirrels one percent salt and everything one percent salt in our basil puree one percent salt in our mozzarella so it's so this system's really you know when you have this at least the you know core offerings of a system you can you can scale those and and like you brett i go i'm absolutely obsessed with pizza i make pizza at home different recipes i probably make two to three different dough recipes a week and and i'm obsessed with it and i still absolutely love tacos but i have people run the day-to-day i have a really great director of operations who runs both restaurants as we grow on them all um mm-hmm. operationally but i can point him in the right de- direction so he takes all that you know the heavy lifting so to speak is done by people other than me i want to focus only on the future so it's also a way i've set my you know like i i used to be there we first opened in the restaurants 100 hours a week and then it, it wasn't effective so i i took started taking a step back and you know this is and this is what works for me. I'm not saying it would work for somebody else, but this is what I like. And so I don't. If if, if I take a step back and something something goes wrong, then it's my fault, and I need to change the system. It's not that I don't mm-hmm. look at it like I need to. Oh, I need to be there more. I just need to change the system so that other people can run it without me. I mean, I kind of think of it like a German car. It's got to be well designed, well engineered, and then you take a step back. If you tinker with a German car and try to tune it up every day, it's not going to run well. So I think a business should be thought of, you know, particularly a restaurant, like a, like a machine. Just the architecture of the systems, at least. Well, so, Brett, I mean, you've built quite a brand with Subdogs. The, uh, which, you know, we've talked before about the possibility of, like, do you grow to more locations or do you go to Greenville, where your, your first one is, and you've just got this incredible brand and maybe you take that brand equity there and do pizza or something like that. But I guess what you're saying Mm -hmm. is it would just be, would be so hard to divide yourself between the the two. Um, Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm from, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, for me, I'm sort of uh, at a point now where I'm kind of figuring out what do I want to do? You know, I I know I have a restaurant that I, that could make money and, and scale and do well and, almost every college town. So I want to do that. Number one. Um, I also think there's opportunity to sort of build and do other concepts um, using the same energy we have now um, at Subdogs and just you know, change the name, change the concept, but take the systems and the, and the, and the energy and just uh, do another restaurant. I'm, I'm fairly certain I can make money doing that. So um, I'm kind of uh just trying to figure out what the, what the next step is. And at the same time, as I was figuring everything out, you know, Corona hit, everything's melted down. Um, and by the way, earlier when, when, when he said that, uh, you know, he kept all of his staff wanting to go on the offense. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, our staff, we have 115 employees, whatever it is, and no one's missed a paycheck. Um, so that's something I'm incredibly proud of that, that, you know, I think 99% of restaurants. Um, so, I, you know, that's, that's kind of where I am. Um, you know, I think the good news is whichever I decide to do, I, I won't know the other side. So um, 
I, I, you know, I'm confident in the, in the future of you know, whatever I decide to do, but, uh, it's definitely a tough decision. Um, and then you have stuff like, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter, if I want to have another child, a wife, and then you, you need to have some sort of home life. And that's nearly impossible if you're, um, if you're developing a brand from scratch. Well, see, Brett, that's, that's, I have a four-year-old son who's napping right now and I, and I've never worked a shift at squirrels. I've not, I don't have a login for the computer, but it's, you know, there's definitely pros and cons, but I think it comes down to what, you know, what you really want out of life. Like what, if, if mm-hmm. what would you do if you didn't have to worry about money? Like, let's just say you came into a hundred million bucks tomorrow. What would you do? Would you open more sup dogs or would you, would you open more concepts? Like what it's, then that's the, that's a personal thing. So what, whatever that answer is, that's what, that's what I think you should do or anybody should do. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, no, that's a great answer. And and that's the goal, I think. And, and for me, you know, I've taken a step back, um, but I am still in the restaurant, um, you know, grinding when things are busy. Like today I'm not, but like, you know, busy nights, I like to be on their game days, um, moving weekends at both universities. But um, I think the goal is to, um, you know, put systems in place, develop a brand, develop a, a money-making machine <laughs> that can be run sort of um, at the same time as having a personal life. And that's, I think very few restaurant people achieve that. Agreed. True, but I, I think ultimately lifestyles are engineered. I don't think it's as difficult as people make it out to be. And to some degree, I think there's often an aspect amongst restaurateurs wherein they want to be the knight in shining armor. You know, they want to come in and save the day and feel like, that they wouldn't have been saved had they not been there. But I say, I mean, I, I'm most proud when the good ideas are not my own and, mm-hmm. and there's somebody else's and, and I don't want to be like most people, this, my staff have basically instructions not to point me out as the owner. If I'm there, you know, like I, I will go to the restaurant mm-hmm. to eat on Friday night, but I don't want eight people coming up to me and saying, Oh my gosh, you're the owner. I, you know, I want to be, I want to be anonymous. That's just me personally, but it's, but I, what I love is when we have a, a new dish, someone, come, we have a new dish or a new, any kind of idea and it's somebody else's idea. That's, that's what I'm most proud of. I do you ever get that feeling? Do you, ever, do, you, do you ever get that feeling when, you know, if you walk into your restaurant and shit's hitting the fan, things aren't scheduled correctly. Um, you know, ticket times are 40 minutes and you're like, why the F am I not in here operating? No. Does that ever happen to you? No, no, no. Really? No, I don't. And I, what I think is that, you know, I, what, it's ultimately my fault and my responsibility. I don't blame anyone else. But mm-hmm. what I, what I do is I don't, I don't leave my house. Actually, even right now I've got a moleskin in my back pocket and I take notes. Like you know, I wrote down Mr. Beast and you know, yeah. I write down stuff that interests me, but, but I, 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 so I go to the restaurant with my notebook and I write down, like if I see, I'll, I'll try to connect the dots and see why it is that way. Like maybe it's, we're taking too many delivery orders. Maybe Maybe we need an extra, an extra host, but the person who runs the, the, the person who is my director of operations, he's extremely highly paid. Like I paid like way more. He's, he makes way more than most people who manage a, manage a restaurant three times the size or four times the size of my restaurant. But that's what it took awesome. to get someone like him. I'm in, investing in the future, but he, he doesn't need me to tell like, he's so good that he, he, he's hard on himself. So he, 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 so he, there, if there's certain things that he doesn't see because he's he's in it, I'll make a note of it, and then the next day I'll say, hey, you know, what can we do? You know, how can we let's figure this out together? Like, how can we control the flow better? You know, it's like 
as you know, one of the, one of the challenges in a restaurant, especially if you've got open seats is some people don't understand that if they're open seats, like maybe, you know, maybe you just got a bunch of orders at one time. Maybe you can't seat those seats because you've got to manage the flow. And that's, you know, it takes a, a, that's a hard thing to tell customers like, Hey, we've got some open seats, but we're really, we've got a bunch of orders once we're trying to manage it. You've got to be extremely assertive and say it in the right way and you know, sell it to them, so to speak. But the, the, so it's, it's like, but maybe that's what needs to be done. Maybe, maybe we, maybe, maybe we should hold back some, some seats during peak times. If we get everyone to come, maybe we should figure out a way to stagger it so that, you know, someone comes in while they're waiting for their table, they get a, you know, 50% off a drink, whatever it is. Like there's, there's almost always a system that can be put into place to make the flow more poetic or to make, to, to minimize the problems. Maybe having adding more appetizers so that they're things that go out quickly, so people don't mind if their food takes forty minutes. You know, things like olives. You know, in my case, things like we can have olives. You know, put in a little container. They don't need to be heated. Put a little olive oil, some lemon zest, whatever. But that olives, that's something we can get out there really quickly. And maybe we comp it if we've got long ticket times. So that's what I think about. Like, how do we alleviate? It's, you're going to have long ticket times. Does it? No one wants to. Get, on the food truck, we would have lines at times, not all the time, but we, one time we had a line that was 150 yards long. You could not see the last person in the line. And we, when we did events, we often had very long lines. The truck next to us oftentimes had no line or had fewer people. You would think a lot of people would get out of our line and go into another line because they obviously it's going to take a lot longer to get our food than someone else's. But people gravitate towards busyness. So the, yeah, do they want to go to a restaurant where, where the food comes out in two minutes? So they want to go to the restaurant. They, they want to go to the restaurant where the food takes, they, 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 they'll still come to your place because it's better, even though it takes a while, but there are things you can do to alleviate that weight. And so that's, that's where I focus my energy is how do we smooth out the, the rough spots? Mm-hmm. And, and that actually excites me. I don't think I've, I've never thought that taking a step back from my restaurants is the best thing I ever did. And I never, ever looked back. And certainly there, you know, if I worked in them, I would certainly have more money. I would, you know, there's certain things that just when the owner is there, I totally agree. When the owner's there, there are certain things that, you know, it, it, it runs, a, uh, it runs in a different way. How could it, how could it not? But yeah. how do I make, how do I make my staff view things through owner eyes like that? So that's where I'm, that's where my head's at. Like, what do I do to make, like, how do I do that? And so I, <clears throat> and so that's you know where like the mission statement comes in. I'm spending a lot of time now focusing on willing down the why. If I talk to someone for five minutes in a conversation, they they seem to understand the why pretty well. But how do I do that in like a sentence or a couple words? So I'm working with somebody now who's a uh, someone I respect who's helping me whittle that down. But it's you know so that's that's where I spend my time and energy. And and it's that's you know per, I don't expect that to work for someone else, but I. But I don't. I, I think all restaurants need to be more like Chick Fil A, if you put, want to put it simply, in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. Whether they're fine dining, and I, I, I don't think I've ever had anything other than a great experience at Chick Fil A. It blows my mind. But they've got yeah. the owner is never. I mean, you know, Truett Cathy's never there. I've never seen him in any of the Chick Fil A's. Yeah. But it's always <laughs> someone who's his proxy. So it's you know it's in and. And so then you think about Chipotle, you know, the CEO, like most of the employees will probably never meet the CEO, but mm-hmm. somehow they still run. So how, how can restaurants be systemized? That 1% salt thing, it works. And it's, you know, the, I think 
people who have a good knack for seasonings, particularly the salt, they're born. They're not trained. I think you, you can train almost anyone to sear properly the braise, you know, the techniques, but you can't train. I think it's a gift to be able to salt things perfectly. And so we take that out of it by having a 1% salt. And there's so many other things we could do too. So I, I'm constantly just thinking about how, how can you systemize something that doesn't seem like it could be systemized and you can Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, ultimately, that's, that's impressive. And at the same time, keeping the authenticity of not still having that local feel and still being an independent restaurant, not feeling or looking like a chain. Um, right, right. Yeah, I had magic there. I've had three private messages, Instagram messages from a regular at Corner Taco over the last two weeks. And she's someone who you know, really, I've got, there's so many people who really care about it and it's, you know, a special place for them, but there are some things, you know, we definitely will always, anytime there's transition from one manager to another, <coughs> there'll be growing pains or something approximates growing pains, tra- tra- transition pains. She's telling me, you know, basically the ble- beans are bland. It told me a couple things, but she cared and she came back the next week and she's like, beans were much better. Thank you. She's like, it did taste like the sauce was a little thin. Like we, like, so we get, there's so many people who care. Like, a la- if if a, a restaurant were labeled, someone had that experience one time, they'd never come back. You know, but it's it's, and I leveled with her too. I was like, we're going to have transition pains, and it's and it's just there's no way around that. But we're committed, and we'll, we'll fix it. Like you have my word. And so we've got that. And some of that, some of that's in their mind. And some of that's in their mind. You know, if they're used to seeing the true, same manager, they be. like you know, yeah, they like seeing certain true. people but, and. Um, well, that's the trick though, right, Brett? You got to parse that. Like it's, you know, you get a, you get a one-star review on Yelp and someone's like, mm-hmm. you know, this, that, the other. And they're like four things that, you know, probably aren't accurate. You know, every hot dog was $25. You know, there's yeah. some exaggeration, but then there's the one thing that you could see, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. like, okay. I, 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 and so when I get comments, I don't ever take them as you know, sacrosanct. What I do, the same process, no emotion, just, unabashed open-mindedness and we do it's like a you know we do detective work like okay this is what someone said let's let's investigate the, the, okay taste the beans were they bland and it turned out our, ble- our beans were bland like the basically mm-hmm. over time the recipe just i don't got lost wasn't followed somebody at one point thought that we were making you know allergy free beans or what it just it was just it's ultimately that's my fault i don't i'm not upset with anybody it's nobody's fault let's fix it it's easy to fix it was so easy so you know clarify the recipe um and it, it was just it was an easy fix um so so that's but that that happens i think with brand like people i think people are more patient with brands and they, they i think restaurateurs have more latitude like restaurants that have a strong following that really are brands versus labels ha- have a lot more latitude and you can make mistakes. And the truth is the way you get a customer for life is you mess something up and you fix it with a plumb. That's how you get a customer for mm-hmm. life. You don't get it by never making a mistake. You get it by being authentic and real, like, look, and owning it. Like I, we messed up. This is my fault. There's no excuse. Please give us the opportunity to fix it. And and then, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had turnarounds, you know, a one star review goes to what feels like a 20 star review. You know, because it's because we fix it, and it's it's um. So those, I mean, those mistakes are going to happen, but that's, I mean, I and and I've become a lot more patient. I mean, I told <clears throat> told you the importance for me to grow personally and professionally. I've become a lot more patient, just to, in trying to be a better leader, 
but mistakes are going to happen. And what I want is excellence, not perfection. And excellence has flaws. But it's you got to you've got to still. Uh, Brett, do you know the the book setting the table? You know the salt salt shaker analogy, keeping the center table. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, read it, yeah. but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, Danny Meyer. So it's just you got to constantly put the salt shaker back in the center of the table, and it's it's all it's just human nature for it to always be off center. And sometimes people think certain things don't matter. Like, oh, do we really need to sear, you know, the pork butt before we braise it to make carnitas? Like, yes, you do. It's important. Um, and then explaining why, you know, Maillard reaction and blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it's, um, I think we're finally at the point in both restaurants. We have people who really believe in what we're doing and people who, you know, staff who care, they're not just there for a paycheck. So, uh, but, but I think all restaurants need to be more like Chick-fil-A and it's, and if, if they're not, they need to figure out how they can be. And it's really not that hard to become at least a little bit more like Chick-fil-A in terms of systems, in terms of, you know, efficiency, yeah, and like, and like you said, I think the owner needs to like anytime there's a major screw up, whether it's a bad review or someone messages us on social, you know, I it's funny you mentioned I feel the same way. I automatically feel like it's my fault. I mean, my I think it, most it, restaurant it, owners yeah. most restaurant owners are like, Well, who was managing that night? You know, I'm gonna yell Right, at right, right. The first thing right. I think is I'm down I'm down on myself and I'm like, God, I'm a fucking I'm a loser. Like how, how am I gonna this doesn't happen again? Yeah. How can yeah. I make sure this doesn't happen again? And it's, I tell you, that, that's why I love entrepreneurship so much. It's the ultimate in accountability. And it's, it's ultimately the reason why there's so much world opportunity in the world is because we live in a world in which things don't, don't work the way that they should. And a lot of that has to do with accountability. So many people are not accountable. It's somebody else's fault. Their alarm didn't go off. You know, they were unlucky, blah, blah, blah. Well, that is why there's so much opportunity because if you truly are accountable, that's your edge. Totally true. Yeah. And I just think in re- in the restaurant business, I just think there's very few good operators. <laughs> so there's, a, there's an opportunity to make yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. significant amounts of money. If you dedicate your life to it and you're a good operator. Yeah. And it's not that hard to be a good operator. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's, it's not that hard really because so many people aren't. And I, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's um, mm-hmm. like I said, my, my primary goal is excellence. It's not money, but money you know, money's the byproduct of excellence. I certainly, if I don't make money, I can't keep doing what I do. So it has to be, you know, on the radar, but it is not my driving, my primary goal. It's a secondary. Well, really it's a byproduct. I mean, we didn't even say it's a goal. I mean, it happens. We've always made money, but it's, um, and we've got, you know, really good food costs. We, we buy a lot of un, unusable, I call it protein arbitrage, but we buy a lot of, you know, brochette, tenderloin brochette pieces that from Halpern's nobody else can buy, but it's age 21 days Angus. So we pay, you know, six bucks a pound versus 20. So we do a lot of that. So we make money, but, but excellence is my primary goal. And, and that, you know, is always, you're never going to fully achieve it. And and moving to zero defects too, like that, like, how do we move to zero? Like, how do we, you know, so often, I don't know if this happens with you, Brett, but so often we get a special order. Someone's like sauce on the side or, you know, know this, know that. I'd say we have to remake probably 20, 30% of those because, you know, especially mm-hmm. for busy, we are, the crew gets in a groove and it's so, so, you know, wh- what I think about, okay, how, let's, let's put the modifiers in red and let's make them in bold. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, what else can we, you know, it's like, and, and so moving towards, you know, getting as close to zero defects, like that's, that's fun to me because it's, there's always going to be inefficiency and, I mean, it's endemic, you know, just to life. So how do you, 
how do you improve it just a little bit? And that's it's not that hard to do. Man, guys, what a what a cool conversation, man! I could talk to y'all about this stuff all day. I I do want I want to um I want to wrap it up here in a second. Respect everybody's time, but I do want to ask you one more thing because it's something that we talk about a lot at Schedule Fly, and it's something that Wes has always said, which is uh you know thinking about the perfect customer, like you build everything around the perfect this imaginary perfect customer. What is that customer? Hmm. How does that customer think? How does that customer, what does that customer want? Like if, you, if you have that idea in your head, so we think of like the perfect customer for ScheduleFly is, and we can tell you who that is, what type of restaurant that is. Now, does that mean that every customer is like that? Of course not. They're, they're, but the, if you think of like ever expanding concentric circles, that, you know, all of our customers are in one of those, you know, to the point where, um, people you know look i mean we're not for everybody right so you know there there are folks that we don't have enough stuff or whatever the case may be and they don't fall within those circles but but if you start at the center and you have this series of you know expanding concentric circles the perfect customers where we make our decisions and i think that's that interesting helps your brand because it helps us answer our own questions should we do this? And I mean, Wes and I have talked about this so many times over the years, particularly with software, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's like his favorite saying, and it's so true. Just, I mean, we could do lots of stuff and add lots of stuff. Doesn't mean we should. And it doesn't mean we should because does the perfect customer want that? If the perfect customer doesn't, well, then, you know, we're just not going to do it. Um, and it really helps us crystallize and clarify what you were talking about early in this call, Chris, is you saying no, being okay with saying no. And that's just the way we look at it for better or for worse. It's you know, worked pretty well, I think. So pretty much every key decision is based around what the perfect customer would, would want. So you're saying, well, yep. Yeah. That's interesting. The, uh, yeah, I, I more so think about like, I, I, you know, I, I, I more so think about, you know, how it's going to affect our operations versus how it's going to affect the customer, sort of knowing what the customer, I, I know, I, I inherently feel like one of the advantages I have uh, operating a restaurant is just sort of knowing what our customer wants, um, whether they know it or not. So just knowing what they want and then does that fit in operationally with what we're doing? Um, and just sort of marrying what your capabilities are, what your capabilities, yeah. what your capabilities are. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's it there, Brett. You see, you know what they want because you know who you serve. Right. And people don't, you know, I mean, look, people don't really often know what they want until they see it. Right. And that was iPhone famous for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the iPhone, exactly. That's right. But you kind of have to knowing what they want is knowing who they are and what, what type of person you really want to serve and you do well with. And I mean, you, you have an audience, Brett, like you have a, you know, there's some perfect customer for sup dogs. It's not for everybody. Um, I, I think, is that fair? Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, the, sort of the energy with our restaurants, you know, what I always say is if, if you're in a great mood, you're going to just absolutely love our restaurant, love the time you have, just you're going to eat a ton, drink a ton, just have an awesome time. If you show up in a bad mood or you have, or you're, uh, you, you know, 
it might be tough for you because the energy is high, the staff is fun, friendly, it's loud, it's bright, um, everyone's eating, drinking. I, so, um, you know, we're, we're certainly not for everyone, but I'm always torn. Like, you know, I'm hyper-focused on who we are um, and I know who our customer is, but at the same time, I always try to remind myself that we're in the mass appeal business. So, um, how can you stay focused and stay true to what you do, but at the same time, um, always thinking about um, your mass appeal um, and sort of the, the pull in both directions for that can be tough, but uh, it's something I always think about. Well, um, guys, this has been so interesting. I really, I wish we were sitting together somewhere having some drinks, talking about this stuff. Maybe yeah. we'll see one day. <laughs> uh, more fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, listen, thank you. Thank you both. Thank, Chris, thanks for stepping up. And, uh, sure thing. Enjoyed it as always. Brett, thanks for... Um, yeah, Chris, it was fun listening to you speak, man. I, I feel like I learned yeah, a lot. Yeah, likewise, man. Um, Enjoyed it. I'll, I'll look you up when I'm, when I'm in town and vice versa. Cool. Cool. Well, everybody, uh, thank, thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll, we're going to get this on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, give me about 24 hours. i have it up on the podcast, too. And uh, stay tuned after, you know, we'll get to the holidays and starting in January, we're going to try to do one of these uh, every week. And uh, Brett, Brett and Chris, I'll talk to y'all separately because I think we're we're doing we kind of we're going to do one every week. I hope if I can get somebody to leave one every week for that we're going to advertise to all of our admin users. Uh, but then you guys are part of you know a separate group of folks I've talked to about you know a more focused uh, small group, which uh, we'll probably do that like once a month or one you know something like that. But I'll, I'll get up with both of y'all about that individually. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Cool. Sounds good. Cool. Merry Christmas, everyone. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Take care. Take it easy. Bye-bye.